Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, Enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now Show. And you guys know what I want to say. I say it every single week and I say it every week because it's true every single week. I have Kimberly Spencer with me and what's going to be cool about this is she's a she's an entrepreneur. Uh, she's a founder. She is a all around great human being, but she's also in the content space, communication space. She has a podcast. And anytime I see that with one of my guests, my little eyes just light up because we can talk content. We can talk podcasting. We can talk all of the good stuff. So I'm super excited. We're going to talk about self mastery. We're going to talk about business and entrepreneurship. Kimberly, before we get into the good stuff, can I get a oh yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So first things first, talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Give us a, the two-minute version. So I'm very blessed that I was raised by two entrepreneur parents. So when at 17 years old, I wanted to drop out from having two scholarships to a college and go take an acting class and pursue my career in entertainment, it was actually supported and I went off, pursued my career in entertainment, ended up getting a screenplay produced, distributed on Lionsgate, on Netflix. Danny Trejo starred in it. And simultaneously, as I was pursuing my screenwriting career in Hollywood, I found Pilates and I felt so good and I was looking for a bridge job. And so Pilates was my first actual business. Well, technically, if you count show business, that was my first actual business. And then Pilates I found Pilates. I taught Pilates for about 13 years, actually, throughout since I was 19 years old and loved it and grew to within just a year of teaching to being the highest paid, most fully booked instructor at the studio that I was freelancing at. A few years later, I went off, started my own studio. Then I got the opportunity to become the president of an e-commerce company based on my Pilates background to take a backstretching device to market, did that for two years. My business partner, after two years, we had some very differences in how we wanted to run the business and he bought me out. And then I literally three weeks before I got married, I signed the buyout agreement, got married to my husband, flew off to Italy and was like, what do I do when I get back? And so that was when I started my coaching company in 2014. And it took about a year and a half because given the uh, self-doubt, imposter syndrome, all the things that come when you have a perceived failure. And so it took about a year and a half for me to actually get the coaching business going. And then I found out I was pregnant and then I had no excuses. And then I built it, scaled it, and now started a second business when I gave birth to a second son, which is our guest podcasting agency, Communication Queens. There's so much to unpack there. I don't even know where to start. So, 
So I'm curious, the two entrepreneur parents, <laughs> what did they do? My dad was a certified arborist and my mom quit her job when she found out she was pregnant because she was an older mom and she wanted to be a you know, stay at home. And she found my dad who was very good with people. He was very gregarious. He was also an addict and very high functioning addict, but also an addict nonetheless. And so he was he's so good with people, but then he would just fling the paperwork. And my mom was like, follow-up processes? Like <laughs> who's doing that? So she started managing the phones while I was a baby. She pushed me around in the stroller, passing out flyers. By five years old, I was split testing price points for bags of glitter water, selling them for five cents or $50. We wanted to see what the market would bear. And then over the course of the first 10 years, I, I saw my parents struggling with building their business. My dad was struggling with a lot of addiction, losing his two parents in that same decade. So it was a lot of, there was a lot of challenge and chaos in, in my life at that time. But something shifted when my dad was about, when I was about 10 years old, that suddenly we started having money. And I was like, Oh, suddenly like all those things of like, Oh, we can't go to the restaurant. Oh, we can't go do that. Suddenly it was like, Oh, we can do that. And I'm like, what happened? And I later asked my dad and he started delegating. He started building a team. He started, he actually took his father-in-law's advice, advice who said, every time you climb a tree, you're losing money. And so we actually started hiring climbers, hiring managers, hiring groundspeople to do the, the cleanup. And he wasn't doing as much himself and was operating more as the team leader. And it, that was where he shined because he shines with people. And so they grew that to a million dollar a year business within 30 years. And I saw that and I said, well, if they could do that while he was an addict and it's sometimes really like, like gnarly addict that I was like, oh, I wonder what I could do in 10. So, <laughs> so we'll see. Very cool. So talk a little bit about this, the screenplay. Cause like, that's not a normal journey, right? right? <laughs> like, like, what, what was that all about? So I think it was because entrepreneurship, like, is it's not Instagrammable like it was because we didn't have Instagram back then. So we see all right, you know, now we see people who are like, I did my Amazon ads and like, here we go. And here's my million dollar business 10 days later. So we see all these like stories of entrepreneurship now. So entrepreneurship is like hot commodity. But back then, I didn't know that there was like more out there than the entertainment industry. I grew up in the entertainment industry in Hollywood and I always love stories. And so I pursued musical theater. I loved Shakespeare. I studied Shakespeare in a summer abroad and I've always wanted to be in entertainment. I saw myself as being like a female Clint Eastwood of being able to direct and produce and write and, and then star and do all the things. And so networking and treated show business like a business. And I was networking. I was hustling. I was getting script supervising jobs. I was working for a production company, doing script reading where you read all the scripts. And I was that 17 year old kid that you hear about who's like reading over the scripts and judging it <laughs> and having to give our producers feedback. So I read a lot of mediocre scripts, terrible scripts, greats, a, a couple great ones. So I got really familiar in the practice of storytelling and seeing like where people missed the mark, where people like really nailed it. And because of my network, I was approached by my director to, he wanted me to associate produce the, the film that he was going to shoot. He was going to shoot a kind of almost like a docu-series style story about bros and the bro culture. I had just dated and broken up with one. So, cause I was in my early twenties and I said, I know a bit about that culture. I said, yeah, sure. I said, do you have a script? And he said, no. And I said, mind if I take a stab at it? And he was like, okay. He said, well, you know, he had some financing and he said, take 10, write 10 pages. I'll pass it off to the executive producer. 
I did. I got the feedback. How do you know men so well? And I said, the scene was, it was three guys walking into a strip club. I'm like, that's not rocket science to like (laughs) understand what they might be thinking. But anyways, so I got the opportunity and within two weeks, I wrote the first draft and then I bounced it back and forth. My director became my co-writing partner. And then the film was made. It took about three, four years for it to get distribution, but it did. And it got a lot of acclaim in the niche, but it's like super, it's a super niche film. And it was interesting because as a woman, I was the only female kind of in the production space and surrounded by all men writing a gritty freestyle, hardcore motocross movie that had a lot of sex, a lot of drugs and rock and roll and all that. And being asked the questions that I was asked on the press tour of like, did you only write the female parts? And, I, and my director's like, no, she wrote the first draft. And like, she, she wrote the scenes of like some of the hardcore drug scenes. And I said, that's, it just was the ability to live in an imaginary circumstances. And that's the foundation of manifestation anyways. That's the foundation of business building. So anyways, when that film got distributed and I felt like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing, but I was only about 90% fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. I said, what is it that I'm missing? Because this was like my dream at 24 came true. And I realized I wanted to be the director. I -hmm. wanted to produce it. I wanted to have a bit more say because as a screenwriter, you create the blueprint, but then everybody goes and executes their vision and adds their creative flow and things. And you don't have as much creative control necessarily. And that's I, as a recovering control freak, I was like, I need more control. <laughs> and that was when I was presented with the opportunity with the e-commerce company a month later. And I said, I would love, to, I, and I initially I was approached to just be a consultant because of my Pilates background and because my former business partner, he'd worked in Hollywood and was retiring. And so we had that kind of common denominator of understanding how the Hollywood industry business went. And I saw the product and I said, I don't just want to be a consultant. I want to be a president. I want to take this business and run with it. We ended up getting it featured in all the major magazines, growing it, selling it, pitching it to the first round of Shark Tank auditions, starting the search for venture capital and angel investors. And then I was really grateful. I mean, not at the time I was grateful. At the time, it felt like a punch in the gut when my business partner said, I want you out. But we just had so much friction as far as how we made decisions. And I'd grown up with two entrepreneur parents who I saw them start small and scrappy. And my business partner had different ideas about entrepreneurship. He wanted to get an office. I thought that was a waste of capital, but that it, it was just dif- different decision-making strategies, mm-hmm. and that, which ultimately ended to the end. Sounds like you really know yourself well. Where did that self-awareness come from? Because especially at a young age, right? 24. If I think back, I, I mean, I was relatively mature for my age, but even at 24, I look back and I'm like, I didn't really know. <laughs> Where did that come from? That self-awareness. I mean, I, I'm blessed that my parents always believed in me. I'm really blessed with that. Like, despite the challenges and chaos that does come when, with growing up with an addict, like they always believed in me. They always championed me. And so it was, it's in that space that I think a level of self-worth is cultivated by the caregivers and the environment that you grow up in. And thus, I always was really audacious with my asks. I'd never backed away from any sort of business request because I was too young or inexperienced. I just was like, might as well just ask. Unfortunately, 
I got to experience the opposite side of the coin because after my buyout, I was so timid. I was so deeply scared of rejection. I'd had throughout the buyout process, I had very professional legal men throwing every fear at me that I had, that subconscious fear that I had, that I didn't know that I had, that I'd thought I'd worked on in every other area. I fixed it. I worked on it with my body. That was cool. I worked on it in my relationship, manifested my amazing husband and now personal chef. (laughs) Uh, But in my career, I'd never really doubted myself. I just thought I could. And so I really took that business buyout as a deep failure and it challenged everything of who I thought I was because I was successful. I was the achiever. And suddenly I felt like an absolute failure for having lost my business, even though I was just bought out of it. Mm-hmm. This, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, so I wrote a book called Flame Started, The Art of Self-Mastery. One of the, the LZisms is get up more, right? So when you make mistakes, when you have what at times could be perceived as, as failures, just get up more. So I hear that coming out a lot in your stories. Like you went through some things, mm-hmm. you learned from it and you grew from it. It sounds like it kind of created the the entrepreneur that we're talking to today. Yeah. Um, It's a lot of resilience. I mean, I believe entrepreneurship can be the greatest path to spiritual development in a way, because you have to get to know yourself on such a deep level if you're willing to face yourself. And there were many mistakes that I made that I had to take ownership for that I didn't really, whether it was pride or fear that I chose to either delay or move forward with too much haste. And I really had to check myself with my own actions and my growth. And when you have that, when I had my year and a half kind of gap year of getting started with my business, I came up with the idea, but I was doing all the things that I call productive procrastination. I was like doing a logo and like building a (laughs) business plan. Like it looked really good, but I was that there was no money flowing in from it. And that, that whole process was really around like I had to take ownership of where I felt like where my blame ended and like where I would stop blaming my former business partner for my current circumstances and my lack of success in my, that was in my coaching business. I had to recognize like where I was and where I had to take ownership. And it's not a sexy conversation. Like resilience is cultivated and getting up more happens when you're like, Oh crap, I contributed to me falling down and tripping too. Cause I forgot to tie my shoelaces. Mm -hmm. Like it's a hard conversation to have, but the more you can do it, the more you build your own character and your own integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Taking ownership of your journey is probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. Even as I go from where I am now to where I want to be, just recognizing that I made the bed. And if I don't like the bed, then I can change my actions and make a different bed. Yeah. Blew my mind. The first time I realized that, like, I can make the bed. It's like, if you don't like it, start over, which is really scary for a lot of people. I wanted to learn more about your coaching business, right? Because mm-hmm. if people ask me all the time, if I had the opportunity to go back to my younger entrepreneur self, what advice would I have? And I almost always say I would hire a coach sooner. So what led you to coaching and why coaching? So I didn't know what the business that I was starting was going to be a coaching business. I just thought I I came up with the name crown yourself. And I thought, I guess I'm going to do something like Marie Forleo. And it took a year and a half to kind of figure out what that was. 
And I completely agree, Elsie, with, with the concept of like, had we had a business coach in my e-commerce company, we would not have run into the pitfalls that we had as partners. And I look back on that with such grace because now I've been able to walk people out of firing, like walk my clients through firing their first employees that they're like, oh, this person's no longer performing at the level that now they've leveled up, but their employee, some of their employees weren't. It's such a challenge. So being able to see where do you need coaching, guidance, support. And for me, it really came from, I, w- I was a year and a half into a spiral of blame, shame, guilt, and complaining. And I knew that I needed a process in order to like something, I needed something to sell first of all in my business, but I also needed a process to walk people through. I needed to to have something because I didn't feel confident in my coaching enough because I was like, how do I ask questions? I wanted a system and some structure so that people, my clients would get results and outcomes. And so it was in that space. Once I found out I was pregnant that I had been talking to an NLP coaching company. And I was like, oh, and as I was talking to the woman who would become my first coach, she was sharing with me. She's like, you've already done this work. And I said, how do you mean? She says, it was when you recovered from your eating disorder. Cause I had a 10 year battle with an eating disorder where I recovered with no psychological or medical intervention. I'd completely changed my mindset around my body, my feelings. I love my body now, like could not imagine myself hating myself. It's like, I love this person that I've created. But I didn't love that with my business. She goes, it's the same relationship. You just have to switch your decision-making strategy. And I was like, I said, oh, I know I can fix that. I know I can change that because I've already done that. And success leaves clues. But had I not had that feedback, I wouldn't have known to look for my unique subconscious success strategy within my own successes. And it was from that I got certified in NLP, timeline therapy, and hypnosis. And then I grew that into certified high performance coaching from the High Performance Institute, where we cover clarity, energy, productivity, courage, and influence, the top five key needle movers for improving your performance as a leader, as a parent, as a business owner. And then I also added on and like every year I love adding some things to the mix because when my clients come to me with a struggle or a challenge, sometimes it's not always a top-down approach. Sometimes I'm, it's not just like, let's just talk about it and, and like find the next best right action step. Sometimes the body has amazing insights. And I learned that from my 13 years of teaching Pilates. So I got certified in somatic breathwork and trauma release through the body. And that has added to another layer of my clients being able to pull things out that they don't necessarily aren't consciously aware of, but suddenly they'll have greater peace within their body and thus their decision-making get improves or they'll have a regulated nervous system. And suddenly they're like, Oh, I can now make decisions with like vision and foresight instead of always operating from a space of fear and the sympathetic biology of your sympathetic fight, flight, freeze nervous system kicking in like, Oh, I have to get this next client. So I love throwing all the different pieces at it to help my clients solve the challenges and the issues that they're facing. Got it. So let's talk business model a little bit. How did you arrive at your current business model and what are some of the things that you thought through as you were building it? Because there's a lot of ways that you could execute coaching, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm just curious to know your thought process behind how you or the journey of settling in on the model that you currently have now. Yeah, our, our current queen bee model really takes my clients through a 12 month journey 
that I had to realize that was what, how I like working with people because I think in the first three months of coaching, sometimes both with the coach and with the client, because perception is projection, we'll have our perceptions of how we want to be perceived. Like, especially when you're working with people who are high achievers, they may have a mask, just like in dating, like in dating after about three months, then suddenly the masks start to come off and you're like, Oh, you snore. I didn't pick up on that. Okay. All right. Oh, here you are without your makeup on. So around that three month period, like month four is where like the mask comes off for both like the perception of how they may have perceived me and the perception of like how the client may be showing up. And it's when you have that beautiful vulnerability that comes from like shedding the marketing mask. Oh, we're really, we're in this and we're in this for the long term. That's how we get the long term results that we get where my clients go on and achieve their one year goals in three months or they fulfill their childhood dreams and buy themselves a plane or they reconnect with their estranged children and then bring them into their business. Like those are the biggest success stories of that I absolutely love with my clients or they completely pivot careers and take the skill set that they had in one and do it in, in a career that completely aligns with their values. But the thing is, is that there has to be some time of like the understanding and the work to work within and the longevity of the space. So I love working with my clients for a 12 month period. And that was, and then the model developed. I also modeled because I hated the sales model in coaching where it's let's hop on a call for 20 minutes and then I'm going to sell you on a multi four figure, five figure package, like 20 minutes and then give me 10 grand. And I'm like, I don't think that I don't like that. Like that just didn't resonate with me. And so I looked at my Pilates model as to what had made my Pilates business so successful. And I said, oh, so the model that I looked at, because success leaves clues, I looked at, well, what had made my Pilates business so successful to where I was completely fully booked? Like I could not take on any more new clients. And I looked at it and said, well, I always offered a paid intro session where I gave a demonstration. They got to experience it. And then what, after they'd experienced it, then I would upsell them to a full package or downsell them into classes based on their physiological needs. And so I looked at it, I said, well, why don't I just do the same thing? And like, I will say my coach at the time was like, no, you can't do that. And I was like, watch me. So I did it and it worked out successfully to where we now have an 80% conversion rate into our private coaching. Very cool. That's a, it's a really, really high number. Yes. <laughs> So do you do any group coaching or is it mostly, or is it group coaching or is it one-on-one? I do group coaching through our agency for communication queens for our crown yourself coaching business. I pivoted in, I used to have tons of products and programs and memberships and everything. And through the pandemic and just a lot of loss in the past couple of years and a lot of transition, we moved twice. I lost three family members and two family friends and they had a baby and had another business within three years. So that really hit me with this big word this past year that has been simplify. And I realized, what do I love about coaching? I love doing our podcast to where that's just good, free coaching content, the crown yourself podcast. And then I love serving my clients with consults and which is our basically an intro session. And then through the 12 month coaching package, but that we wanted to simplify. And it's just been such a blessing in that space. And I do speaking as far as that business is concerned now too, that's been ramping up, but our group coaching is with our podcasting agency. Got it. I can't tell you how excited I was when I learned the concept of simplifying. It was like, 
You talk about mind blowing. It's like I was doing all of the things and you mean to tell me I can just focus on one or two main things and get really, really good at those one or two things. But I think it's a maturation process, right? When you're early on in the journey, it's like, oh, I got to do everything or I'm going to miss opportunity. But when you grow, you learn that actually, you know, getting really good at the one or two things is actually the better approach. So let's talk podcasting a little bit Mm -hmm. because I'm a podcast head. Maybe, obviously, maybe not. So I'm curious to know, how did you get into podcasting? Why did you start your podcast? And how many great things have happened because of your podcast? So I started podcasting for our coaching business in 2019. I was a part of a podcasting mastermind with Summer Scalero of She Lives Holy and Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazarus of Next Level University. And so we, we just met on a weekly basis. And after a, a, like a month or so, I realized I was feeling a little impostery because I didn't have a podcast. And so I said, okay, fine, I'm going to start it. Originally, it was titled The Princess and the Bee on all the bees on becoming and rising into your reign of queen as of your life, whether it's business, bank accounts, boys, babies, all the bees. There's tons of bees. Recently, we flipped and rebranded it, which is, again, going back to that point of simplicity of like, I have the Crown Yourself company, the Crown Yourself brand. Why not just call it the Crown Yourself podcast and have it be simple? And that changed the game as well for people being very clear on what we talk about. We talk about sovereignty, leadership, communication, messaging, all the things that go into building your empire and communicating your story effectively. Yeah. So what I'm just curious to know, because I know there's a lot. What are the wonderful things that have happened since you started that podcast? Like, has it been beneficial to the business? Have you learned some things? Yeah, it's I mean, we've gotten clients from it. And I think the big, the biggest thing, like I am the biggest promoter of guest podcasting for lead generation. That's what our agency specializes in for podcasting. The seventh step in our process for guest podcasting is starting your own podcast because when you've borrowed people's audiences enough because you've guested on other people's podcasts, they've heard your message, they want to learn more, and you have your own podcast, then they're in a, an incubator of being able to consume your content, get to know you, understand your messaging, understand your values, and then discern based on long form content if they want to buy rather than like short 15 second reels where you're mouthing something and they may forget in a couple days. Like when you take the time to consume a podcast, three out of four people who listen to podcasts, listen to learn something new. And so having a podcast builds that community that is where your clients and customers come from. And it creates what I love to call like the castle walls of your business. So it's like that, that entry ticket into Disneyland and it's, it establishes the values of what you, your company and your brand and, and what is the ethos of that in long form content. So you're not just getting like clickbait, real Instagram, real sort of content. You're getting a, a real depth of someone's perception and their philosophy and their philosophy for what they do and why they do it. And then bringing the fact that I've got to interview my mentor and give her first podcast. She's uh, Tirsa Shirai. She scaled her business from zero to 30 million in three years. And I said, whatever you did, I wanted to like teach me. And so she gave me all the books, gave me the references. And the next year in 2020, we doubled our business and tripled our profits. So that is the power of having deep, rich, beautiful, long conversations. 
And I always tell my clients in our agency, I say, podcast guesting and podcasting in general, it is the building of a relationship. Like right now, you and I have like, before we hopped on LZ, we were talking about consciousness and the business building and podcasting and content creation. And it's the beginning of a relationship. And I always equate podcasting as kind of like dating. So in any sort of dating, you can have the podcast interview, which is like the first date. You could consider it like to be like a lovely one night stand where you never hear from the other person again, or it gets turned into a really beautiful long-term relationship where you become strategic partners and you refer each other business or you refer each other guests. And that's what we built our agency on was this foundation and ethos of generosity, because that's what allowed me and my coaching business to do 200K from guest podcasting alone. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad somebody, you know how, um, you might appreciate this. I know you're a mother, how I'm a dad of two. Sometimes I can tell my kids something and it makes complete sense, but they don't want to listen when I say it. But if somebody else says the same thing that I said, they get it. And it's like, yeah, uh, it's you know, magic. So that's what just happened on, on the Enterprise Now show. Cause I, I preach this all the time. It's like, if you are a business owner, you are, you need to be in the podcast space. Mm-hmm. I always recommend hosting and guesting because each has its own advantages and disadvantages, but you're either guesting on shows, hosting your own show or sponsoring shows. I recommend you do all three, but you guys heard Kimberly say you need to be guesting on shows and you need to host a show. So I'm just going to leave that there. Um, talk about interviewing your mentor and learning from her, getting the resources. Like, what is that moment? Like, that's not something that just happens, right? Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, it's, I mean, having a podcast gives you the opportunity to have real depth of conversation. I always like, and this is where I get very on it with podcasters, like do the guest the favor, release the episode, honor your commitment, be impeccable with your word because podcasting can be a really, and this is like the secret sauce guys. Like it can be a beautiful way of pick your brain, like where you get the concepts, the knowledge, the book recommendations, the strategies. And you're like, holy crap, I'm getting this for free. Yes, you're getting this because you are committing to share their message, to share their strategies with the world. What drives me up a wall is when podcasters do that and then they don't release the episodes because only 5% of podcasts are releasing an episode every 90 days. And that's, I'm like, do the guests the honor and keep your commitment to releasing the episode. Because when you do, that builds your integrity, that builds the integrity of the podcast. And it gives you this amazing platform to learn from. Like I have learned so much from so many of my guests. I had one of my friends on Leah Valencia Key who took her business from, she was homeless. And then she scaled to a hundred, being in 150 million homes on QVC and just being able to sit with her and have a deep, rich, beautiful conversation. Like I was energized. She was energized. I was like, who can I connect you with? How can I support you? It allows for you to have this collaborative relationship but it comes from you being of service and keeping your commitment to distribute the episode. And then they will show up to be of service also to your audience. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your agency 
because I think it's important before we hit record, we were talking about, I love certain aspects of podcasting and I share with you, I don't really love the guest booking part, but that's what you love. So talk about that a little bit. And I guess what are some of the ways that you work with your clients that may be different than other agencies? Yeah. So, I mean, having had a podcast for four years now, I've gotten pitched badly by a lot of agencies. So when we started the agency, we started it out of necessity because initially it wasn't meant to be another business. It was meant to be a, a, a vehicle for our own lead generation because I was stuck during COVID in Australia with my family. And prior to that, live events had been my main force, form of lead generation. And I was like, well, can't work. I'm in a foreign country, can't host live events that are paid. What do I have available at my disposal? And I found guest podcasting. It was from building out the strategy and the process of how we book, how we pitch, how we leverage the pieces of my own story that I was able to see, oh, okay, we can apply this to our clients. And like, we've had clients go on to speak at Google and Microsoft now because they've been on multiple podcasts. They've been able to build their brand, get clients, get build their shows and the work that they're doing in entertainment. It's so exciting. But our process really of what makes us different as an agency is we really want to focus on the, the story and we have a three-step strategy for how we submit people. First, we want to target podcasts that are establishing your industry, your expertise and building your authority. So if we want, so if you are a health coach, we're getting you on health coach podcasts to kind of do exactly what you said, LZ, where sometimes there's that that guess that backs up exactly what you've been preaching. And so it, yes, that's what those podcast episodes tend to not drive more revenue to your business, but they do build your authority to be able to say, Oh, I was on this podcast because if you're a health coach, then you're going on those podcasts. The second part of our strategy is that we focus on who are the people that your business targets as your ideal client and what podcasts are they listening to? And this is where you get to go into a little bit more of a blue ocean because you're not a female entrepreneur going on every blush pink Instagram female entrepreneur podcast. You're going on podcasts that your ideal customer is listening to. And when you can dial in on who that is and what they're listening to, it gives you that opportunity for leverage. And then the third part of our strategy is what we call the outlier strategy. It's the story part of the strategy. We want to find podcasts that correlate to your story. And this is like the clear, clean blue ocean. Because for example, one of our clients, Dr. Tiffany Smith, she is an amazing holistic functional, integrative functional medicine nurse practitioner. She is phenomenal at helping people heal at the root cause of their disorders and their challenges health-wise. And she's a blue star mom. She has a son who's in the military. And so we started targeting specifically, and she's a black woman. So we started targeting black podcasts, like black founded podcasts, BIPOC podcasts. And then we started targeting military podcasts because who else is more stressed out than family members whose partners is gone for nine months on deployment, who's maybe is managing a household of four kids. Like that's somebody who could really use her services. And so we look at what are those pieces that are unique to your story? What are those pieces that are special that make you different and, and delightful and that, that certain 
segments will resonate with where they may not be looking for a health coach. And then suddenly you come along and then you share your information. They're like, Oh wow. She's, I feel like she's really communicating to me. I feel like she knows me. I, that I'm struggling with that. I didn't know I was struggling with that, but now I know I'm struggling with that. And that, that's how we start setting our clients up for that, that. And we also produce the deliverables for our clients, which is very different than any other agency. Most agencies, they just do the booking and then it's like, peace, bye, thanks. But we know not all podcasts will deliver deliverables. And what I mean by deliverables are the marketing assets for the podcast. So we give our clients the blog, the newsletter, the clips, the headliner, the audiograms. We leverage that podcast because especially for busy CEOs and founders, like you want to take that one hour that you do something and make sure that it's leverageable in multi different ways and for your own marketing. And so we splice and dice and give those assets to our clients. So do you get that from the podcast also, or how do you get the raw footage? We leverage just the produced and distributed episode. So sometimes a podcast host will give us the video. If the podcast is distributed on YouTube, we'll pull the video from there and then we leverage AI. So do you ever run into podcast hosts that don't want you to do that? Or for the most part, have hosts been pretty cool about it? I've never had a podcast host that was like, oh, no, I don't want you to promote my show. (laughs) I think that would be a deeper conversation to be like, yeah, so what's going on with your show then if you don't want to promote it? So talk a little bit about some tips. So I'm your client. You've sent me or you're going to dispatch me to all of these shows. What are some of the do's and don'ts? Like you would say, hey, Elsie, don't do these things or Elsie, absolutely do these things. And don't give away the farm. I know that, this is, you know, as far as your service, but some things that you can share. Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's no possible way to give away the farm. There's an abundance of information, opportunity and strategy. And each one is personalized to our clients. So. What I would say is if you're going on a podcast, like do not, this one really bothers me. Do not desperately pitch your services and do not, and this one is where it really gets me. Do not leverage when somebody shares a vulnerable, courageous story as a pitch for your services, especially if you're a coach. I've seen that done where you either exchange stories and podcasting. You're like, Oh, I experienced the same thing. And like, this is what I've had. And then I've seen it done where at the recording turns off and you're like, you know, you mentioned that thing in your story and it seems like you could, you're really struggling with that and you could benefit from my resilience coaching or my, you know, what my health coaching. No, (laughs) if ask, ask the person at the end of the, the conversation, is there anything else besides distributing and promoting this episode that I can do to contribute to your success? That's it. And then you build it on a, just like a relationship. If you're going in expecting to close a sale when you go on a podcast, it's going to be like ex- going on a first date and expecting sex. It's like, and like, oh, well, this is what's going to happen. It might, but more often than not, you come in with that attitude of like a taking attitude. It won't. And in fact, sometimes if you do that, the podcaster won't even distribute your episode. So if you go in with an attitude of generosity, of giving, of being of service, of exploring and exploration and curiosity of like, how else can we work together? Oh, like, I mean, Elsie and I were like bouncing back and forth of like, Oh, I don't do the guessing. And I'm like, I do. So like this. And so I'm excited for what you and I will be able to build beyond this because we're talking about the relationship, but not in a way of like, well, you need to do business with me because you don't do that. Like that's gross. That's just don't be a gross business owner. You'll be pretty good on going on podcasts. Don't be gross. (laughs) Don't be gross. (laughs) 
Got it. Cool. We could go on and on and on and on and on. Maybe I'll have you back for another episode because I really would like to dig into content marketing, Mm -hmm. some ways to leverage that as a business owner. But unfortunately, we got to go. So if people want to reach out to you, learn more about Crown Yourself and your podcast agency, what was the, the name of your agency again? Communication Queens. Communication Queens. How can they get in touch to say hi? You can head on over to crownyourself.com and click the button that says work with me. And I'd be more than happy to walk you through a consult. And if you want to dive into seeing how you can get booked on podcasts, you can head on over to communicationqueens.com, hit the button that says get booked and book your 100K profit from guest podcasting planning call. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Elsie. I really appreciate you. And I would love to come back for a second episode for a follow-up to talk all things content marketing. Cool. Well, you said it here. So now it's... it's That's it. It's done. It's done. (laughs) We'll we'll make sure that that happens. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.